You're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 164th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, we're switching topics from parenting to couples, and I'm delighted to both meet and interview Jari Bolander, a person who reached out about sharing his story with our audience, and I was surprised to find he had a story similar to mine. Jari says he is powered by a steady dose of locally crafted espresso and loves nothing more than to figure out how to explain complex things in clear and compelling ways. With six startups, seven and three quarters books, and 10 patents under his belt, his experience runs the gamut of semiconductors through life sciences to nonprofits. When he's not helping clients convert a concept to a viable strategy, he can either be found with his blue belt on the jiu-jitsu mat, interviewing entrepreneurs on his podcast, or researching the latest in earthship construction techniques. I don't even know what that is, Jari, but it'll be interesting (laughs) to hear about it. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. His love of writing and storytelling led him to publish six books about business and management. He also hosts a podcast called The Entrepreneur Ethos, which is based on his last book by the same name. The podcast is meant to educate and inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs since Jari believes that entrepreneurship is the path to a better world. His memoir is about his marriage to his second wife, Jane. She was diagnosed with leukemia when they were still newlyweds and died after a 15-month battle. Currently, he lives and works in the San Francisco Bay Area at Decision Council, a business-to-business consulting company focusing on growth and activation. As a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, he says he loves the way the sport has given him the confidence and grit to push past his struggles and challenges. He's engaged to a wonderful woman named Minerva, who has given him so much love and support dealing with his loss, along with her daughter and their Bernadoodle Sage. Welcome, and thank you so much for wanting to come on the podcast and share your story. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, so am I, Kim. Thank you so much for having me on. It's just amazing to meet someone that's had a similar experience. We have to stick together, so to speak. It's it's a club no one wants to be a part of, but when you're part of it, it's always wonderful to see and hear how other people have dealt with it. So thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I know your memoir is titled Ride or Die, Love Through Tragedy. What was it like for you to write that book? It was a bit cathartic, struggle, challenge. As you can imagine, I had to relive a lot of what we went through, Jane and I, in the 15 months of her leukemia battle. But ultimately, it was very enlightening, healing. I think one of the things that I always like to say, or at least my mantra is, if if I've gone down to the depths, battled the demons down, you know, (laughs) down in the place that shall not be named, and I come back and I survive it with some semblance of myself intact, that I should share the struggle. And one of the reasons I decided to do that was because there's a lot of books about grief and sorrow and relationships and loss, and I've read a lot of them, but I never found one that really resonated with me or told the story from a male perspective. There are out there. It's just, it didn't really, I didn't really see myself in them. So 
it was really that trying to process the grief and sorrow and some of the lessons learned. I also felt really alone during the time. I'm curious to feel how you felt during your experience with your husband, Dave. It's just so much of a struggle sometimes to relate to people that are going through these challenges. And so I decided, well, I might as well write something about it and share the struggle and share the joy and the sorrow and the frustration and the excitement and and all the things that get wrapped up in that. I'm curious, do you also share your recovery? Not so much. Not so much. Um, The book focuses on Jane and I's relationship for literally when we met till a month after she died at her celebration of life. So not a lot on the recovery side, although a year after she died, I quit drinking and I haven't had a drink of alcohol and it's been five, I think it's maybe five years today. (laughs) Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That was a very powerful decision. And one of the things that helped with the healing process, because that kind of wasn't helping me. (laughs) As you can imagine, I'm not sure how your experience was, but I just wanted to feel something. (laughs) And those feelings were, yeah, didn't do it the right way, so to speak. So like there's a right or a wrong way, but kind of went down the rabbit hole in a bad way. I would say, as you you may know, because I know you've listened to some of my stuff, I am a counselor. And so I might say to you that you did it the way you needed to do it in the beginning, because what you were actually doing was numbing some of those more painful feelings. And then maybe it got to a point where you realized, well, this might not be so healthy. And you decided to stop. And and that's a huge decision. And I really applaud you for that. That's not easy. Yeah, not at all. I don't know, but I'm guessing you may have a part two to this memoir to talk about down the road. People have asked me that. Yeah. (laughs) I find it interesting. I have been resisting writing my memoir because I keep saying I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. You know, I'm, I'm not ready. So you did it early. So now maybe you'll have a part two. It's interesting because when I first started writing it, I had a lot, some of the recovery in there. The reason why I ended up taking a lot of it out was because I wanted to focus on the story of Jane and I also wanted to make sure that it was focused on the right things. There's a lot of things I didn't put in there because I really wanted to focus on the relationship, what ride or die meant to us, and how we navigated this almost insurmountable, as you know, struggle. And that really not only focused the book and focused my healing on, look, I don't have to be perfect. Let's not try to like wrap everything up in here. But also, yeah, Book two, phase two, (laughs) I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do next, but putting it on paper, putting it in a tangible form where it's out of my head and into the world, just felt right and good to me. And whatever comes out of it, whatever comes next, however it gets received, I'm just really proud of one, the fact I could tell the story, two, could share some of the insights that I got. And three, there's now a place forever in time where People can read about how wonderful Jane was and how much she meant to me. Yeah, that's beautiful. You mentioned what ride or die meant to the two of you. Could you share what that is? Yeah. What's funny is that that was not the original title of the book. I have an awesome editor named Brooke, Brooke Warner, who is also the publisher over at Spark Press. And throughout the book, Jane talks about this idea that we're going to ride or die till the end. 
what that means is that no matter what comes into our lives, no matter how much the challenge and struggles, we're in it to win it. We're going to go till the end. What's interesting is that the origin of that, there's a lot of hip hop and a lot of motorcycle lore and all these sort of things. But the original origin I found out was Bonnie and Clyde. Mm. Um, Bonnie actually wrote a poem about ride or dying with Clyde. So, and you know how that ended. <laughs> so I do. Pretty much went to the end. She would say it all the time. She found great comfort in the fact, no matter what happened, no matter the struggles, we would be together to solve them together. And I think that was a really powerful metaphor. And it was for both of us just sort of helped focus the, okay, well, how are we going to deal with this together? As opposed to dealing with it alone. I know a lot of people have different ways that they handle a critical illness or an illness that could be life-threatening. For us, that just happened to be the way we roll. Do it. (laughs) That's what she would say. That's amazing. Truly amazing. And I know it's not in the book, but do you think you could share with us how you've used this experience, this trauma to become even more resilient? Yeah, that's actually a really astute question. I've been listening to actually some of your stuff, which I find really fascinating. One of the things that I think is important is that if you do go through struggle and challenge, you battle the demons and the dragons and you return with the gold, so to speak, metaphorically, that you should write about it and talk about it because it's going to make people feel less alone. One of the things that was really struggle for me was I just felt alone. I mean, there was a lot of people around us. We had a great support network. We had our care circle, which we called it. We had our family, we had friends, but I still felt really alone. It was just us in the battle. And when you're a caregiver, especially as a male caregiver, it might sound a little old fashioned, but my responsibility to protect my wife. And I'm failing pretty miserably at it. Again, is leukemia my fault? No. But as I say in the book, I was captain of Team Jane and my job was to make sure we didn't lose the MVP. I failed at that. People would say it's not your fault or whatever, but still, that's a big burden. As I worked through the challenges and the struggles and the grief, quitting drinking and quitting some of those bad habits, started to realize that there's actually some positive that came out of this, which seems odd to say. I think you call it glow. I call it post-traumatic growth, which I find just super fascinating. And I think it's another thing that you brought up, something called choice theory, where you have a choice on how these things go. It may not feel that way. At the time, I didn't feel like I had a choice. And sometimes in my life, I don't feel like I have a choice, but I actually have a choice. I can go down the rabbit hole. I can do all the doom and gloom stuff that most men do. I could drown myself in the bottle. I could bite a bullet, could commit suicide or I could battle the demon and learn from it. For me, it took a while. <laughs> I won't lie. <laughs> a lot of challenge and growth. I have a therapist, so I went to therapy and still do, actually, to help sort some of these things out. But there were some good, positive things that came out of this. Once I realized that, I'm like, I have the choice on how I can handle this. Even with my new relationship with Minerva, talk about a wonderful woman to have to deal with like, my shenanigans as I'm going through the crazy stuff. It was like, yeah, this is bad. I could be in my own private pity party. I could be like, oh, woe is me. This is BS, blah, blah, blah. I could have easily gone down. And sometimes I'm that way. Like I feel cheated. But then again, what can I really choose in this situation? I could choose how I handle it. I choose my attitude. I could do nothing to save Jane. When I realized, oh, what good came out of it? I quit drinking. I wrote a book. I'm helping other people. 
was hugely powerful, but it took me some time to get there. I hope I can continue down that path. It's a challenge and a struggle, as everyone knows. I'm not perfect at it. But the resiliency that I've built because of it, actually right now, as an example, my dad has Alzheimer's and dementia. He's in a facility because he doesn't remember us. My mom is not handling that very well for good reason. That's the first time she's ever had to deal with that with her partner. Me going through that with Jane, I'm like way more calm. I way more understanding. I can talk with her rationally. The emotion is not as strong. I'm sad about it, but what can I do other than help her? There's some comfort in that, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes complete sense. Of course, I get it. You don't get to pick the things that happen to us, but we do get to choose how we manage it, how we learn from it. We're not. What we choose to do with it, if we decide to be public or stay private, all of those things are personal decisions. And I think that when we make a decision to talk about it and to help others, it puts us in a position of taking our tragedy and turning it into something that means something. It wasn't just for nothing. And I think that that's really important. So I applaud you for doing that. I know I have a friend who lost her son. And I know that losing your partner is different, very different from losing a child. She and I both are in the Choice Theory organization. And she says, you still talk about losing Dave. And that's been over 20 years now. And I said, yeah, I'm not talking about it for me anymore. Now I'm talking about it for other people. Yeah. 20 years is a long time and it's even more than 20 years. So it's been since 1999. So it's almost 25 years now. Yeah. I can do it without the emotion anymore. I can certainly conjure up that emotion. It's not far away, but I do it for other people now. It feels really good to be able to contribute like that to people who are hurting. Yeah. Again, maybe this is your perspective too. I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. It's whatever feelings that you had at the time, and you know other people were feeling them, being able to communicate them often makes it a little less scary. The edge gets a little bit off. But I also think other people then realize, oh, wow, if you made it, so could I. Or, oh, gosh, that's a... That's a very, yeah, that's, wow, that's an interesting way to think about it. I don't know if that's how you felt. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So you found Minerva. Yes. Minerva found you. I don't know which way that happened. You found each other. We found Um, each other. How was it for you to find love again? It was complex and weird. And sometimes I felt guilty, to be honest, and a struggle. But with all that said, one of the things that Jane and I talked about before she died, I wrote about it in the book. It's a scene where she was getting chemo down in Santa Clara, California. She wanted me to be happy. And she knew, because she knew me really well, that I would be very sad when she died. And we actually got into a fight about it. I would say we were screaming at each other. It would be mild. The thing that was really interesting about that is that it was the realization that why be miserable? Generally in my life, I bias negative. I'm a little more negative than most. You talk to some of my friends, I'm like the classic curmudgeon in a funny way. I'm lovable that way. (laughs) But finding love again was a little bit, gosh, it was joyful and sad and all these emotions mixed together. And I was just very thankful that it was someone like Minerva who understood what I was going through at a first order. Obviously, you can't understand everything, but just being kind and compassionate 
as well as being just thoughtful about it. The process is the process. It's like, who knows what's going to happen? I hope I never have to go through losing a spouse again or having a spouse die again. But it took a while for me to just get out of my head and be like, wow, how lucky am I? How often is it that you get to find someone else? But the other thing was I was open to it too. I just love being married. I love feeling that sense of we're in it together. The struggle was real and there was a lot of missteps and some things I didn't do very well. Of course, I'm not perfect. In the end, I was, I was very happy I took a chance on it, I think. And, and we're just very happy now. Just Every day is a gift, I think, for when it comes to that. I don't know if that's how you feel, but every time I wake up, it's like, well, I got another day. It may be not the best day in the world, but it's one more day. It does put life into perspective, doesn't it? People complain about their days, and I have the thought in my head, would you trade it for not having this day? I have a mother who's still living, and she is, I shouldn't say her age because she would absolutely kill me, but let's just say that she's over 80. And she always says to me, don't get old. And I'll say, you do know what you're wishing on me, don't you? I either get older, I don't. And if I don't, it's not because I stay the age I am right now. It does put things in perspective and you do find a definite gratitude, even for those shit show days. And I'm sure you have them just like everybody does. I know I do. Yeah. So that's beautiful. Congratulations to you and Minerva. And I wish you a long, happy life together. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. Terrific. You've mentioned at least once about this experience being different as a male. I think that there's multiple reasons for that. The protector is one of those that you mentioned. I also think it's that we women are built or socialized, however you want to think of it, to be the nurturer and the caregiver, and men generally aren't. I could mention that my grandfather, my father's father, was married four times. And his three wives all contracted and died from cancer. And he nursed them at home every single time. I just watched in awe as he did that and just couldn't even imagine having to go through that. But I suppose that watching him do that was really my role model for when I was caring for my husband. What are some things that you think the men out there or people in general but mainly the men should know about grief and having to live through a situation like this. What would help them? There's a bunch of things in hindsight I wish I would have known. I would say you don't have to do it alone. Ask for help, but ask for help in specific ways. And for those of you out there that have men in your life that are suffering and you want to understand how to help them, do something specific. Take the burden off them actually saying what they need because a lot of times they won't know. I think even that's for women going through that. Like, I don't know what I need. I'm just trying to get through the day. So I'd say try to ask for help and build a support network around you that cares about you. One of the things that I didn't appreciate, I did appreciate at the time, but would appreciate more. I appreciate more now was the community that we built around ourselves as we were going through this. Sometimes it didn't feel like they were with me in it because everyone just cared. How's Jane? How's Jane? How's Jane? Right. But there were people that cared about me. And the powerful thing was someone had my back if something went wrong. I got sick a couple of times during this whole thing and people stepped up to help. 
because they just saw, wow, this is a lot. And I didn't want to admit defeat. Hey, I can handle this. I can handle anything. And I couldn't. There were things I could. I handled it most times great, but there were just times where it's just like, I have no idea what to do. And that's okay. If you're a type A go-getter or the general stereotypical man of doer, like how do I do stuff? And that's your love language or whatever, acts of service as an example, like your grandfather. What a role model and an icon. I can't even imagine having to do that three times. Three times. And finally, his fourth wife outlived him. Wow. Is one of those folks that as an example of someone doing it and as a caregiver, because again, to your point, you mentioned, hey, mostly that's a role for women, quote unquote. Nowadays, that's changing where you start to see more men being caregivers, but embracing it. I think also embracing the fact that you as a caregiver need to take care of yourself too. There were times where literally Jane would say, you need to get out of here and go do something for you. What are you doing for you? Sometimes when you get wrapped up in it, you don't think of you. A lot of my health problems and a lot of the struggles were because I didn't take care of myself. Even if you're going through the stress and grief of having to deal with a diagnosis of leukemia or any kind of, or any kind of critical thing, or after your spouse dies, it's one Knowing that those feelings are okay, knowing that you don't have a disorder, knowing that it's natural, knowing that, yeah, if your wife dies, you're not going to be okay for a while. And those feelings of despair and depression and anxiety and second guessing all the things that you thought you could have, would have, should have done is natural. You're not broken. This is part of it. And getting someone to help you work through that, that you trust, be it a counselor, be it a good friend, way more important than any drug or any numbing that you could do. And I've done them all. So it's not like I can talk from experience, you know. And I think it's changing a little bit for men. I mean, I'm a Gen Xer, so I have a little bit different take on the world. But being just open to embracing that that I don't know all the answers. I'm doing the best I can and ask for help when you can. Right. Do you have one thing that you might tell people to do every day that's going to help them get through struggles and challenges? Gosh, one thing. Wow. I mean, try to get a good night's sleep. (laughs) So sleep, if you can't do that, or if you're in the thick of it, and I'm working through this right now, so I'm not perfect at it. When things are hitting the fan and the world feels like it's chaos and it's completely collapsing on you and you're like, you don't know what to do. I always love the sports analogy on just take a knee, Mm. take a knee for a second or two, take a deep breath, take a knee, assess the situation. You don't have to jump and solve everything right away. Um, Of course, like life and death or whatever, but generally the kind of things we're talking about, take a knee, take a deep breath, take a lap around the hospital. Anything kind of give you some perspective and get you out of the emotion of it? Because there's a huge amount of emotion. I'm sure you knew. I can only imagine the ups and downs. Dave had a transplant. So did Jane. The ups and downs of that, evasiveness of it, the chemo, all of the stuff that's just the moods. Yeah. It's enough for a thousand lifetimes, <laughs> let alone one. I'd say take a knee. When things are getting out of control, take a breath, take a knee, take a pause. Nice. I hate to say this, but our time is coming to an end. I'd like to know when your memoir is due for publication and how people might be able to get a copy. Sure. 
comes out September 5th, 2023. It's on bookshop.org. It's on Amazon. Where all great books are sold <laughs> everywhere. Amazon, Bookshop, Barnes & Noble, I think. You can also go to my site, jaribolander.com. You can check it out there. Yeah, it's one of those things where, I don't know about you, but when you finish something that's so personal and you put it out in the world, it's a little scary, right? It's terrifying. It's terrifying. not a it's terrifying. <laughs> I know, it's very scary. So terrifying. Really, I didn't yeah, think of it terrifying. that way. <laughs> it's like jumping off a cliff and you don't know if there's a net at the bottom. True. That's true. That's true. And what's just beautiful, again, getting back to what good came of something so tragic, this post-traumatic growth or what you call glow, is I just want to help people get through something terrible like this. If anyone out there is going through some challenge and struggle, like what you and I both went through, just know you're not alone. You can get through it. It's going to suck. I'm not going to lie. It's not going to be fun. It ain't all unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> You're going to have good days and bad days like anything. And just keep on walking. Take the pause, take the breath, take the knee when you need to. And be kind to yourself. I think that's something I wish I would have been more of, kind to myself. Yeah, beautiful. I'd like to ask at the end if there's anything you'd like to add that we didn't get a chance to talk about. I'm really appreciative that you had me on the show so quickly. It's just wonderful. I'm glad we could connect. I'm thankful that you told me about Dave. Sounds like a beautiful human. I love the fact that he was of service and you're of quality time and how that was a bit of a disconnect. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. I got to reread this whole, you know, the whole reason why we got connected is because of the love languages thing. But I guess I should reread this too. <laughs> yeah, that was so crazy because I didn't know about the five love languages then. And I remember after doing all these acts of service for my husband that you never really think when you say in sickness or in health, you don't really have any conception of what that might be. And I remember him looking at me and saying, you really do love me, don't you? And I thought, I've been loving you for 17 years. How could you not know that? But I was trying to spend quality time with him and he wanted me home cooking dinner. We had such a mismatch on that. But luckily, by the end, we both understood and knew. If people wanted to catch up with you, they want to reach out, talk to you. How could they reach you? I know you said you have a website. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. It's pretty easy to find me. I have a unique name. So. <laughs> Not many of me around. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us today, Jari. Your story is intensely personal, and yet I feel we've walked similar paths. I appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us in an effort to help others who may be going through similar experiences of grief and loss. And just want to thank you again from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate all you do. Appreciate you having me on the show. So thankful that you got to share a little bit about who Dave was and how much he meant to you. And Grandpa Carl. I wish That's I could right. be Grandpa Carl. <laughs> That's legit. <laughs> <laughs> He was a definitely interesting mm -hmm. and courageous man. Yes, he was. 100% courageous. Wow. Three wives with cancer. I would say he was an optimist. Yeah. I would say they broke the mold, so to speak, when they yeah. did it. Yeah, for sure. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media.
I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be interviewing Susan Graham about sex. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.